I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Podcast ain't played nobody. My name is Stephen Godfrey, at 38Godfrey on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Richard Johnson, tell everyone where they can find you. On Twitter, RJ underscore rights. Y'all already know. Banner Society at Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. This used to be the hurry up. The hurry up has died. The season is over. This is all that remains. We are going to go through the week that was. We are going to go through the playoff as we think it might be. We are going to go through football. And then we are going to celebrate Black Sunday. This would have been a lot easier if we'd have just recorded uh, an amalgamation of the 15 phone calls that we've had today over the last 10 or so hours. Um, I just counted. I uh, woke up this morning in Baton Rouge and uh, through several different drives, uh, including one with all my kids in the car. I drove from Baton Rouge to Nashville. Look at that on a map if you would like. I may have made I've had incoming and outgoing calls today. Sixty seven. Um, I'm a little punchy right now. Richard, are you ready? Let's go to the real ass playoff teams. As we enter conference championship week, we're going to talk about this as soon as I run down the week scores. There are three teams that are certified national title contenders. There are four teams vying for that four seed. Um, That doesn't mean something crazy could not happen in the next, you know, uh, seven days. I'm not saying that these three teams could not lose, but there are three teams at the conclusion of college football's regular season, who are head and shoulders better than everyone else. Uh, In no particular order, Ohio State won the game 56-27 over Michigan. Clemson destroyed South Carolina 38-3, and LSU beat Texas A&M. I was at that game 50-7. My goodness. Those three teams did exactly what they were supposed to. Those three teams will be privy to a lot of argument over the seeding process in the next seven days, all right? The remainder of the real-ass playoff teams, essentially the teams that we believe, barring a couple upsets, will be fighting for the four seed are Georgia. They beat uh, Georgia Tech in clean old-fashioned hate 52-7. to Utah beat Colorado 45-15. to Oklahoma won Bedlam 34-16. to And Baylor beat Kansas 61-6. to Jesus. Woo! Think he's trying to send a message with that one? Uh, shout out to the uh, LSU press box, which mysteriously had on the Baylor Kansas game in the, in its last throws instead of the Iron Bowl until we requested a change. So funny how that never, works. Y'all ain't ever really over less. Uh, the good teams that are out of it—that's a fancy way of saying two lost teams. Hey, it's Alabama. What are they mm. doing here? That's crazy. How Alabama y'all doing down there? Alabama lost the Iron Bowl, forty-eight to forty-five. Uh, Minnesota. They lost the axe, 38-17, to 17, uh, in the snow, at home to Wisconsin. Penn State beat Rutgers 27-6. to 6. Oregon won the Civil War 24-10. Florida beat Florida State 40-17. to 17. Yeah. Notre Dame beat Stanford 45-24. to 24. Uh, And then again, another two-loss team, of course, Wisconsin. They beat Minnesota. The G5 Top 5 is only the G5 Top 4, because in the last playoff ranking, there were only four G5 teams in, which is how we were trying to deliver the news to you, so... Don't take it up with me. Take it up with the playoff committee because they hate the group of five. 
In this order, Memphis beat Cincinnati 34 to 24. Cincinnati would be the second team. Of course, they lost that game 34 to 24. They will have a rematch. We will talk about that in a second. Boise State beat Colorado State 31 to 24. They will play in the Mountain West Championship next week. And App beat Troy 48 to 13. All right, Richard. Let it be known that Navy beat Houston 56 to 41, but will be sitting home this weekend because Memphis does not respect the troops. I have no idea if uh, Navy would re-enter the top 25 college football playoff. It doesn't matter, so it's not something I'm going to devote a lot of time to. The bottom line is that the G5 participant in the New York Six Bulls will come down to one of the four teams that I just mentioned. I'll be honest, I don't know if Boise or App even have a shot at this point because if Cincinnati were to beat Memphis, I think they would probably get it, or Memphis beat Cincinnati. I think it's really the winner of the AAC championship game. So thanks for coming, uh, Barrancos and App. Um Richard, there are three clear superior teams in college football. That's it. There's three. Um, I Can you remember off the top of your head, I asked this in, in our work Slack last night, have, has the seating ever been this dissected and, and, and debated? I can't remember this. Again, we, we focus so much on the four, like, you know, that four, we, five, yeah, six. That this we don't year, figure out all, who actually yeah. is in. Um, I, I went back, and the, the interesting thing about it is – the there has always been, I feel like, a team in the playoff, probably other than the first year, that you were like, "There's no way in hell they're winning this thing," right? Right. Like Michigan State, but Michigan State was the three seed the year they were in it. Um, I believe Washington was the four seed. They were. Uh, Notre Dame was the four seed last year. Yes. That could be yes. Wrong. Yes, Notre Dame was yes. the four seed last year. Um, so it's it's not every year the four seeds the weakest seed, but this year the team who gets the the one seed is absolutely playing an easier football game than two versus three. They just are. I'm sorry, Utah. Um, so of these three teams, I don't really care. We're we're not here to really debate who is what and how specific all this kind of stuff. Like. I could live with any combination. I, I, maybe it's controversial to say that because everybody wants to relegate Clemson because of their schedule. This is a defending national champion that's really, really deep and loaded with five stars, and they're very healthy. And I can tell you this anecdotally, talking to people at LSU tailgates and talking to people in the LSU football program, the one seed matters a lot. <laughs> the one seed is a big damn deal because it goes from knowing – and, of course, obviously, this weekend's SEC championship is going to be a, a current 1-4 because Georgia currently has the four seed. It'll be sort of, I guess, like a knockout phase. But the idea of LSU playing any of those teams that we just listed, Georgia, Utah, Oklahoma, or Baylor, is extremely comfortable relative to playing Ohio State or Clemson in the first round, which makes sense. I want – I want the game I think I most want to see, I think – is LSU and Clemson, I think. But I'm not sure, because I'd, li- I'd like to see the, any combination of these three teams playing each other. Um, I, I don't know, I, I, but I think that's the one I really want to see. Um, separately, somebody at some points... Look, Dabo Sweeney is spinning up myths. Spinning okay. up myths and legends about his what Clemson team. Today, he was like, no, no, not a lot of people thought we were going to be 12-0, which is a paraphrase, not the exact quote. But he's basically he's basically spinning up the we've been doubted all season. No, they haven't. I the, Nobody I like actually respect 
has been telling me that Clemson's not as good this year. The people who have been telling me that Clemson's not that good this year is Joe Alabama fan with eight followers on Twitter. This is true, but you know what? Every team does this. Alabama does this. This is the this is the way in which you engage your kids. And remember this. College football coaches are never speaking to you, and Richard, they're not speaking to you or I in the media. They are speaking back to their program, and, and the best ones are speaking directly to their players, their coaches, and their recruits at all times. It's that simple. Um, let's play a quick game because I think you said this two weeks ago. The team that LSU, let's say LSU is the one seed, the team that they did not want to see in the first round was Oklahoma because of the way that they could match up with the run game and what we saw Ole Miss do. Um, here's my question. All right, LSU, the team they don't want to see is Oklahoma. Of these four teams, which is the team they most want to see? Hmm. That, I, I think it's Utah because I think they'll be fairly confident that they can just outscore Utah. All right, if you're Ohio State, who do you least want to see? If you're the number one seed, who do you least want to see and who do you most want to see in the four slot? I think Ohio State probably least wants to see Clemson. I think they most want to see LSU uh, because out of these kind of out of this three jumble, I think that Ohio State will feel like it can run on LSU. But uh, if Ohio State's the one seed and Clemson, that that would invariably mean that Clemson and the and LSU are two three. If you're the one seed at Ohio State, so if Georgia, Utah, Oklahoma, and Baylor, if you're the Bucks, who do you want to see the most in there? Hmm. I I mean I I think. I don't know. I think it's I don't Georgia. Know. Yeah, it's 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 the team that you can outscore because Ohio State probably ends up thinking of Georgia something like a Michigan. So of those two teams, my guess would be that they would most want to see Georgia and then probably least want to see Utah. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a movement I can get behind. I mean, if, if there is a defense capable of setting a tone early against Ohio State, which we haven't seen that this year, I guess it's Utah because we don't really have any other candidates. Okay, and then finally, if you're Clemson, who do you least want to see as the four? Who do you most want to see as the four? Man, I like I, the cop out is I don't think Clemson really cares. I think Clemson is going to absolutely. That's an answer. I think I don't think Clemson really cares. I I think that if I think if Clemson were the number one seed, I mean it may be it may be pretty medieval what Clemson could do to a four seed in such a situation. The one I'm going to vote for here is Baylor because they would, and and then Utah right behind it, I guess, because there's just no qualification for experience there, right? I think the moment would be so big and Clemson is so experienced and so calm about this because they just won the national title and then they won it a couple of years ago. Um, I think they could feast on a team in a big moment who was probably playing a little bit past their reach. Um, and then I guess... Oklahoma, I guess. Clemson's not going to do the thing where it takes them like 10 game minutes to to look like they are there. Like it took Oklahoma about a half, maybe a quarter and a half, like a, mm-hmm. like into the second quarter before it was like, oh, like Oklahoma's here, awake, they're in Miami, let's play the football game. Like I don't think Clemson at all is, is really going to look like that out of any of these teams. Um. Why Why is it exactly that they won't take 10 minutes? Because I think the casual fan in college football right now assumes that they haven't been challenged and that they're, they're they because of that, because the ACC is so bad, as the average fan believes, that why wouldn't they walk they just kind of sleepwalk into the Fiesta Bowl or the, uh, the Pete? This is part of the thing. 
this is a part of the thing that I that I think I was talking about. Um, it was a couple weeks ago where I talked about Clemson when they shift into this like championship phase gear. Basically, Clemson breaks the season up into a few different parts, and uh, the Carolina game is where this championship phase thing starts. There's a lot of teams that that do that. Every game is the same. One game season, we want to be one to know. And yes, to an extent, Clemson does that, whatever. But Clemson is also very clear and very bold about saying, it's December, we've shifted into this phase of what we are. It's almost like Clemson does what you're kind of not supposed to do, which is kind of saves themselves a little bit for this phase of the season. Um okay. And, and that's why I think, I mean, uh, this Clemson team, which Dabo has tried his damnedest to build this cult of, despite the fact that we are defending national champions with the Golden Boy quarterback, whatever you want to call it, we're being doubted. Uh, Clemson, or uh, Dabo kind of builds that cult, that energy, all that kind of stuff. And they come and they unleash hell in that first round game. Richard, of the potential four seeds right now, Again, Georgia, Utah, Oklahoma, and Baylor. Um, the one I think that you and I are both the most intrigued by, it doesn't mean it's our pick, it's not a prognostication, but the one that we're most intrigued by is Utah. Um, they feel the most dynamic in just the simple fact that there's two teams on this list that have been in the playoff before. We kind of know what they are. And then of the two outsiders in Utah and Baylor, there is something pretty amazing about this Utah defense. And there's a good chance that if you're listening to this, it's okay to admit that you may not have watched Utah at all this season. Yeah, they're mean and they're nasty, and I have not watched Utah in the back half of the season. I saw them in the first half of the season, and I was like, yo, they want to play the game in a box, and in that box, they're going to run like bats out of hell, and they are going to absolutely knock your ass around. They do, they do like naked eye viewing. They do everything good. Yeah, I will look forward to... Um, obviously watching them in the Pac-12 title game, but should they win that game and get into the playoff, I look forward to seeing what Utah's done over the last, like, six or seven games where they, I think they lost that game to USC and we all sort of, like, gave up on them. And then they were like, no, like, no one else is scoring on us the rest of the season. And I kind of lost track of them after that USC game. And then you picked them up two weeks ago and you were like, nobody scored on this team besides Washington. Uh, the point totals since they lost to USC on September 20th, it was a Friday night game. Um, they beat Wazoo. They allowed 13 points. They beat Oregon State. They allowed seven points. They beat Arizona State. They allowed three points. They shut out Cal 35 to nothing. Washington scored four touchdowns on them. And then that was it pretty much. UCLA scored three points. Arizona scored seven points. And Colorado scored 15. That's insane. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's it's limb from limb with Utah. It's absolutely limb from limb. Um, it seems like a fool's errand. And, and I'm trying to do this without making big, broad, dumb jokes about the PAC 12. It seems like a fool's errand to think that this def- that this defense in particular could completely stop any one of those three offenses that we just talked about, LSU, Clemson, and Ohio state. Therefore, would Utah's sometimes anemic offense have to be out of their mind for, for one very big night and, you know, do all the other intangible stuff like in turnovers and all that jazz? Yeah, it, it would be sort of the classic can't have much of anything go wrong type game situation. Right. Um, I will say this, Utah, Utah gives me more faith of being able to get it done 
than uh, Georgia does. Given Georgia, or like a or, or like a Washington a couple years ago playing the one four against Alabama. Yes, yes. Tyler Huntley, he doesn't make it look easy, but he—I mean—he's not bad either. Like, it's—it's it's an offense that grinds it out. I mean, the last game I watched it, the last full game, start to finish that I watched was the Washington game, and that was probably the last real challenge they had. They are workmanlike on offense. I think they would have to have some lucky breaks. You'd have to have a situation with LSU's defense not looking like they looked last night, but how they've looked down the stretch. Or, or you could have something where Utah comes out and they're like, hey, this is what what Ole Miss did that, uh, that worked. I think we've got the quarterback and the running back to maybe make that work. Uh, and we try some of that. You got three weeks. Quick question. You watched the game yesterday. I watched the game. Was there anything that, especially until the turnovers just created enough of a gap for Ohio State to make it gaudy, it was tit for tat through a lot of the first half with Michigan and Ohio State. Was there anything Michigan put on film necessarily that you liked or that you could, I don't know, it just feels weird to translate that to Utah, but could they expose Ohio State in any way on defense? Uh, maybe I look, I'll give Michigan a lot of credit. Like I went back and picked through that game. Like Michigan handled Chase Young pretty well, pretty well. And like Ohio state does not do much of anything exotic on defense. They just line it up and play ball. I mean, there's not a lot of exotic blitzes and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's pretty much what you got. And because of that, um, I think that because of that, I, I don't know. Michigan was in that game until they blinked. And once they blinked, you were like, oh, boy, Ohio State's just so much better than them. Dude, I mean, it, it was, let's be honest, Shea Patterson muffed one snap. And then after that, it was like you could not run fast enough to catch up with them. Yeah, it was just like, whoa. They And, and I don't even think Ohio State did anything different. But it was like they just kept, like, we turned that off probably midway through the third quarter. And it was just like, just like, yo, they just keep scoring. Um, now that we've talked about Utah with this much focus and context and, and we've declared them interesting, they will do, of course, what we expect all Pac-12 teams to do. Uh, they will walk in and lose to Oregon by 14 points. So prepare oh, yourselves yeah. accordingly. Um, so what did I say about the Iron Bowl last week? I don't remember. I don't listen to you. Well, no, the reason why is that our editor, Holly Anderson, marched triumphantly into the work slack last night and said that I said, don't watch the Iron Bowl. Did I say that? You might have. That sounds like something you'd say. First PAPN listener that that hears this goes back and transcribes, I want all the dialogue in regards to the Iron Bowl from the tasting menu, okay? I will find something to give you, okay? I want to know exactly what I said. Apparently, I said it wasn't worth watching. We'll send you a shirt from Homefield. We'll send you a shirt from Homefield. I don't remember saying this. Um, I think I have a malaise relative to that rivalry because it has sucked up so much of the the attention, the energy, and the oxygen of college football uh, in rivalry week. It's just nice. I guess I'm a socialist that way where I want other rivalries to, you know, I thought it was awesome. Wisconsin and Minnesota had such a, you know, such a large amount of the spotlight yesterday. Um, Maybe it was in that context. If I'm scaring you or turning you off as a listener right now, yeah, I do forget most of what I say about three days later, especially at this point in the season. Uh, obviously, it was a game worth watching. Jesus, God, it was a game worth watching. When Alabama wins the Iron Bowl, it is 
lame, it is boring, and it's 28 to 13. When Auburn wins the Iron Bowl. Right, it's the greatest football game you've ever seen, so maybe I just thought Alabama would win. And I, like, I think going into the game, it was like, well, Bama's a little banged up on the front. We don't really know what we're getting from Mac Jones. Uh, the spread was three and a half, I think. This certainly seems like an Auburn could maybe do it year. Um, they didn't get a vested interest pick from me, but I did take them in the pick and pool with the friends. Um, but Auburn came out, and first of all, Auburn stole 17 points. It's absolutely hilarious that they did it, but they stole 17 points. How did they steal 17 points? Two pick sixes, one of which was go- they, Alabama was going into the end zone, uh, and it knocked off uh, Najee Harris's butt, pops up 100 yards the other way. Uh, the other one was a, a shorter pick six that Alabama then completely negated because Jalen Waddle played his ass off yesterday. I am upset that Jalen Waddle had to lose that game yesterday because he played an all-timer, and we're probably going uh, gonna to forget it. Uh, and then the I still don't understand the field goal at the end of the first half. Where and I guess Dick Saban doesn't either. Where uh, Auburn gets that play where they get a first down, but the clock is ticking down. It it and it ticks away, and it looks like the first half is over. And then right. they go back, and Gus is like, "No, you got to put one second back on." Then they put the second back on, and Auburn is able to get the snap off, uh, snap hold kick, fifty two yarder that they make, and and obviously they they get the three points that ended up being the final margin of the game. I don't get how it worked. It was Auburn Jesus at his best. Uh, but then, obviously, it comes back and it matters at the end when Alabama doinks that field when they lose the game. Um, Auburn uh, uh, colleague Alex Kirshner has a great um, explainer of the Auburn fake punt thing at the very end of the game. The thing that Saban got really pissed about and said was unfair. Uh, basically, Auburn put its punt team out, but its punter... Not its real punt team. They put the punter at wide receiver on the far side of the field from Alabama's bench. But Bama saw it and so then became like they they were subbing between units. Jalen Waddle was in the back. He's out of frame. You can't see him. But he is Mm -hmm. the 12th player on the field as Alabama looks like it's trying to get one personnel group on and one group off. Sub on, sub off. And it becomes a substitution penalty. The way you pull that off is that you have the punter appear on the field. So, you, so as soon as you recognize that, you send out your special teams unit. Then you what have him linger around, and then like you don't have him line up in the wrong position right away. You have to you have to create some sort of lag, right, to where they end up with twelve. Yeah, because he, what happened was, and I don't know because I can't see the sideline camera, but I have to think. Because the punter, I mean, the punter knows what's going on. They're not ever punting that ball because the shield protector was was Bo Nix and the other one was, I think, Booby Whitlow. They're never actually punting that ball. They had one timeout. They were just going to call the timeout or take the delay of game and then actually punt the ball in the next play. Um, so the punter's out wide. You can see him, like, looking into the formation, kind of seeing what's going on. I don't have a sideline camera angle, but I assume Auburn's sideline is going crazy, telling whatever side judge is over there that Alabama doesn't have enough players on the field, and they're probably pointing it out and, and going berserk. I, I don't know. I'm just assuming. 
Um, but you can see when they throw the flag, Bo Nix like looks like he's walking towards the center and the punter looks like he's motioning in the backfield to where maybe they were going to pretend snap it or something. Um, and then they throw the flag and you see Bo Nix like clap it up being like, yes, it worked. We just won the game. It's absolutely amazing. It's a play that I'm going to have to go back and watch like six or seven times. As it was happening, I was watching it on my phone as I was in the press box at LSU. Um, it, it's such a it's such a piece of performance, though, to confuse, um, you know, arguably one of the most mentally disciplined defenses uh, in the history of college football. So Alex Kirshner, BannerSociety.com, great explainer on the play. Um, also, uh, check out the read option for the top whatever. A nice little recap of what happened. Uh, the last thing that we want to talk about, it doesn't happen often in college football. It has happened before. We will have a rematch, as we mentioned earlier, for the AAC championship after, let's see, Memphis beat uh, Cincinnati this past weekend, which automatically, Cincinnati had already uh, clinched their division, and uh, Memphis clinched theirs, so it didn't matter what happened in the Navy-Houston game. They'll play each other again. Uh, arguably, ostensibly, logically, they are playing for a for a bowl bid to one of the NY six games. So uh, this wasn't as lopsided as you. I think maybe you were letting on, but this was Memphis being very, very Memphis. Cincinnati. Um, how much of this did you watch? I was in and out at LSU. I actually watched basically all of it. Okay, here's my question. The game opens and it is Memphis. It is track meet. It is running your ass ragged. It is skill, position, talent, speed, space. It's beautiful, right? Then it turns into a Cincinnati game dictated by in like Cincinnati terms. How did that happen? I think Cincinnati is a team that is pretty good at it when it when it's at its best. Cincinnati makes you play Cincinnati's game. Um. They're like Iowa. Right, right. Now, when it doesn't work, it is vi- it very clearly doesn't work, if that makes sense. Like, the first quarter and a half of that game, I was like, yo, Cincinnati does not belong on the field with these guys. Oh, it was bad. But Cincinnati was able to end up dictating the terms of the game, and if Memphis doesn't have that kickoff return for touchdown, it is a different story. This game is a very, very different story. Uh, it's a 34-24 final. Um what I'm fascinated by is how these these two staffs are now going to immediately break down film and then put in two new game plans. I don't know how new I mean, I don't know how new I don't know how new Cincy's game plan needs to be. Why Cincinnati? Because they were the loser. So so explain yourself. Because I think Cincinnati comes comes out of this game thinking we were not outclassed or outmatched for the bulk of this game. Well, they were they were slowed down on offense considerably in the first half, and they gave up a special teams touchdown to open the game. So, I mean, that's pretty much the difference. I would love to know what mem- what Cincinnati is right now saying in its film room because if I if I'd imagine it, I think Cincinnati understands that they can stay with these guys. Um, I think Cincinnati thinks it can stay with these guys. And I think if Cincinnati had a fifth quarter in this game, despite the, now I know that Memphis scored in the fourth quarter of this game, but I think in the middle part of this game, I think Cincinnati has got to take that and say, Hey, we can stick and stay with these guys. Um, Memphis played Memphis played better on defense than I thought they were going to. 
Um, I think they limited uh, limited Sin City like five yards per play or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Memphis did play a little bit better uh, than I expected them to. Um, but I, I do think Cincy comes out of this thinking, hey, we can stay with these guys and we can beat these guys um, a second time. I mean, they, they limited they limited the damage. Uh, you know, they limited the damage. It's going to be absolutely fascinating just because how often do you, like, how many times have you heard, like, well, if they just played that game one more quarter, X would have happened. That's essentially what they're doing. I mean, they also, they had two picks. Like, you have two picks in the game. So, you know, you feel better about it if you can say, hey, turnovers aren't a repeatable skill. And, um, you know, if, if we don't if we don't give them the ball three times, even though Memphis didn't score off of those turnovers, um, if you're sensing you're like, look, if we don't give them the ball three times, we make the game easier on ourselves and we give ourselves more opportunity. Yeah. So turnovers and special teams, I guarantee you that's what Fickle's saying. They're not trying to reinvent the wheel. They're trying to keep it simple. I will be curious to see if there are minor wrinkles, adjustments in specific matchups, maybe more with Cincinnati's defense versus Memphis's offense, um, because it's so fresh because you, practice for one team you play them then you turn around and practice for the same team again it's a very unique cool thing that's happening in college football it's also aac and g5 so of course we're gonna flog the shit out of it um all right richard that's uh that's it for this week right that's that's all we had to talk about oh yeah 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 um i'll uh catch you on wednesday is it cool to say psych anymore or is that just gonna show my age nah they know the people know the people know when this hits their feet at midnight well we're just joshing with you all right richard you ready the main event. I gotta just seriously. Let's just stretch. If you're listening to this, maybe coffee. Go ahead and hit the potty. We should put in the description. What's the time? The timestamp's like 28 ish minutes. Honestly, yeah, we're we should, about a half hour. We should put in the description. Just skip to 28 minutes. That we that's Why? what we really want. No, 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 no. We got ads to sell, baby. Don't listen to Richard. We love you. Homefield, Black Friday sale. <laughs> Um, by the way, shout out. We should say this. App. Uh, this is not related to the, the ad reads, which you will hear in a second. Homefield, guess what they got now, Richard? BAPN t-shirts. They sexy. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ready? This is it. We're keeping all this in, by the way. This is just, everybody get loose. I know what you came for. That's why we delayed the show 12 hours. 67 phone calls later. We're going to go in order of the way that Richard and I drew it up in our notes. There's no rhyme or reason to why we're talking about particular jobs when. (laughs) Yeah, because we are going to take some hard left turns here. We are going to use a lot of the eyes. okay? It's like a therapy session. I believe... I feel, okay, or and, I know. And remember, it is 10.30 Eastern time on yes. Sunday night. 
It is literally, as we enter this phase right now, 10.26 Eastern Time, or I should say 9.26 God's Time Zone, uh, as we record this. So go ahead and set your aggregation and Twitter and all of that. So if there's something that you hear as you drive to work on Monday that's different, we can't... We had to... I, I, I Right before we got on... I was I was hitting the mute button on phone calls. Where I was like, I've got to stop it at some point. I I just I have to hit the button and just say, all right, whatever I have, I have. I got to stop trolling for more information or picking up the phone or hearing this latest rumor or whatever. So I I sort of stopped the flow of the river about thirty minutes ago. We recorded our our game stuff. Here we go, Richard. As of this moment, it's seven twenty six p.m. on Sunday night in Los Angeles. What is the status with Southern Cal? At this point, and please God tell me if somebody tweets something as I'm speaking, Clay Helton is USC's head coach. It's Sunday night. He still has the job. There were reports that he hadn't been fired yet but would be dismissed Monday. Um, USC is pissed about that. USC is still figuring out and assessing him. Um, I think where you start to get squirrely is if this starts to get into, like, Tuesday, late Tuesday, or, like, Wednesday. And there's no reports of Mike Bone saying we believe in Clay Helton and Clay may need to make a change or two, but he's going to be our coach next year. And then Clay fires Clancy Pendergast, a defensive coordinator, and Clay comes back and gives it one more go. If you don't see something concrete by, like, Wednesday, that's when you're like, all right, what's going on here? Um, I do feel like we have to address the bandied about uh, favorite candidate uh, in terms of internet rumors, and that is James Franklin at Penn State. Um, we've we've had an Urban Meyer phase, yeah, buddy, and we've had a James Franklin discussion. That's sort of been the internet life of this. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but I mean, the James Franklin thing was last year. That was happening last year, right? James Franklin has always been tied to this job. James Franklin has always been associated with this job. I don't believe, and I this is me being honest. This is a, this is a I believe and and I know. This is not James Franklin's camp putting that out there. This is this is something that's happened a little bit organically, a little bit in the way that these things do happen. I don't know if he leaves Penn State. I think that the legitimacy of associating James Franklin with USC is much, much stronger than the legitimacy of associating James Franklin with Florida State, and we'll talk about them in a second. Um, I will leave the USC conversation before we move on to Arkansas with this. They operate in their own way. Okay, they operate with their own logic. They always have. Look at the decisions they've made. There's a head coach in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that was considered damaged goods because he was fired by Ole Miss, who has arguably the best team in college football right now, who they could have had in a heartbeat. By the way, uh, I met Marcus Allen last night because he spoke to the LSU team. Boy, if that's not a fuck you to USC, I don't know what else is. Yep, Marcus Allen was on. I stood next to him on the sidelines as time expired. Um, in the LSU A&M game. He spoke to the team the night before. Um, there is a, a lot of a lot of warmth between USC people and Ed Orgeron. Please know that I am saying that for what it's worth. I, it is the, there, there's no context there. Do I think, why in the world would Ed Orgeron leave when you finally perfected that, that machine in Louisiana? This is the best LSU team since 2003, and that includes a national title team. Open quote, Ed over. Orgeron, head coach, USC 2020, oh, close Jesus. 
Stephen Gufford. This is the best LSU team since the national title winner in 2003. And I'm skipping over, again, I'm saying they're this good. I'm skipping over the 2007 national title team, which lost two games, including one to Kentucky. That's okay. rude. Next. They lost to Florida, too. Hoggies. Um, you've probably seen some uh, narrative that Mike Leach lost the job after his comments to uh, a reporter after the Apple Cup. They're partly truth, partly fiction. I don't think Mike Leach is ever getting this job. Mike Leach was considered for this job. Does it help Mike Leach's cause to be anywhere other than Washington State at the end of his career when he does dumb shit like this? It does not help his cause. I all. don't think okay. Mike Leach necessarily lost the game during the Apple Cup or after the Apple Cup. I think Mike Leach lost the game or lost the job during the Apple Cup in the way that he loses the Apple Cup every year. It's a quote that I retweet every year. It's something that I said on the podcast last week. Jimmy Lake at Washington and Washington's coaching staff has said they play the same way. They don't change anything. We know what they're going to do. Uh, Washington plays a brand of defense with like 90 Bs on the field at the same time. I'm exaggerating, but you get it. And because of that, Washington is built to stop something that they know is coming from Washington State. Now, the problem there is, or not, I don't know the problem, but the delineation there is this. Plenty of other air raid coaches run air raid principles, a lot of air raid stuff, but they also mix in other stuff. Probably the last distilled 200-proof air, air raid team is Mike Leach um, at Washington State. And when you only got one tune to play, it can be found out by teams fairly easily now Alex Grinch is no longer there to help them out on defense if nine and three is the ceiling there I imagine Washington State fans are, are pretty happy with that maybe they'll get a nine and three uh some other time I don't know if an SEC team is going to take that leap right now in 2019 there's persistent talk persistent talk of Lane Kiffin at this job here's what I will tell you this for a fact Lane Kiffin got to a certain point when he was trying to get hired by Houston. Uh, this would be after Tom Herman left for Texas. He got to a certain point, and then it stopped. Hunter Juracek, who's the AD at Arkansas, was the AD at Houston at that time. I think that this is more of an I believe. I know that his name has been associated with and, and, and the whole consideration thing. I believe that Lane Kiffin coming to Arkansas wouldn't happen with this ad that that's that that is an opinion and i believe okay richard um i know that willie fritz is a candidate at this job the two lane head coach um <clears throat> do you want to do do we both brag what do we do here do we both brag do we like spike it i mean way to go way to finally figure this shit out no, I think we act like we've been there and we <laughs> let the, we let we let the past uh we let the proof of concept that we have had on this podcast come to bear. And that's all I'll say. Okay. That's good. That's good. I think Willie Fritz uh, would do fantastic over time. He's not going to be a quick fix, which is why I'm a little concerned there, because Arkansas, they've burned out of patience. They really have. I do think that they could be dynamic and interesting and successful with the limitations provided by Arkansas's, you know, we did a whole podcast on this. Arkansas's place... In the pecking order. Um, the other name that I hear is uh, is under consideration is Skip Holtz. Skip Holtz is not sexy. Skip Holtz is consistent. Skip Holtz would be a CEO. 
Skip Holtz's father has a very strong association with this university. Skip Holtz would attempt, I think, more of the CEO identity. Um, I think Skip Holtz would be a very good recruiter. Um, and I think, again, yeah, they would probably try and fit him into the Dabo, Edo, CEO mantra thing. I also think, I think, this is what Richard thinks, that Skip Holtz is not entirely thrilled with the suspension situation at Louisiana Tech. Oh, yeah, I know. All right. He's not thrilled with that. Well, look at um, that. I know that, that Skip Holtz is not happy with the way that things are going uh, at Louisiana Tech at the moment. Let's go to Rutgers. This one's pretty easy. It's Greg Schiano. Ta-da. This is, this is where we could show our ass and say – uh, look, I'm gonna not. I'm gonna not. Ign- I'm gonna ignore like what happened, what has happened between the two podcasts where we've said Greg Schiano is our betting favorite for the head coach of this job or to be the head coach at Rutgers. Um, but here we are. We found. We've we've gotten there. It's not about the journey, folks. It's about the destination. It's also not about the terms of the contract, which is eight years for thirty-two million, which was basically on the table the entire time before the several different walkouts and impasses and fights it's really more what they what they they came to brass tacks on and and there's very vague language out there both in the reporting and the specific statement from the university is a commitment to infrastructure overhaul and actual physical building of of facilities that's what it came down to i mean i don't think it's very vague i think the athletic director started very very quickly i believe his name is patrick hobbs very very quickly understood how much power he has over the situation when greg Schiano is involved the one tweet, the one tweet your boy was able to fire off today, as I drove across this great southeastern. No, it was a pretty boring drive. Um, the uh, the play of the media, the the puppeteering here is fantastic. Um, I'm not saying that in a bitter, snarky way. I'm just being honest. I'm not. I don't do the fourth estate beat my chest thing. Uh, like I just, I'm not that kind of journalist. I guess I know that we get screwed sometimes. We get played and we get totally used. And it's happened since the dawn of the free press. This was an amazing, amazing <laughs> orchestration. Somehow, the media closest to Rutgers and then outward into the national sphere, too, made it seem like the only human being that could ever win a football game at Rutgers was Greg Schiano. Well, because and he is. No. Because no, he is. Oh, because he no, is. No, because he has. Because he has. He is not the only person who could have won at this job. I could name... 15 coaches that could come in and win at this job. Joe Moorhead could have done it. Butch Jones could have but done it. it. Alex Joe Grinch Moorhead, could have done it. Any one of the... My thing with Joe is, is did, would Joe Moorhead come in with the 200-page binder and say, look, motherfuckers, this is what we need. And not just this is what I want. This is what we're gonna do, more Everybody, or less. Everybody who goes to a finalist interview has the 200-page binder. This is, again, what I'm talking about. The details leaked. The timing in which that they leaked. Okay, the verbiage that the the specificity of some of these stories that came out of 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 not just anecdotes of things that happened, but down to the damn detail. This was a great co-opting of the media by pro Shiano people. Also, it's not just the media. I think this is a great groundswell of support in the community. And when I say in the community, I'm not talking about Joe Schmo Rutgers booster friends. I'm talking about the governor, governors, plural, but the governor of New Jersey in Greg Schiano's favor. Like, Greg Schiano was kissing a whole bunch of rings here. 
it's it's worth mentioning uh chris ash the former coach eight and 32 record at rutgers um i've heard his name pop up in association with virginia tech as a defensive coordinator there uh again heard his name associated with take that for what you will unlv richard tony sanchez was fired this week 18 and 40 overall record um the names are plentiful here there's a lot of curiosity about how this search will run about um how wide they will go we've heard different things um you can talk uh, talk about fresno in a second the first name that i heard associated with this job and a level of interest is utah's defensive coordinator morgan, uh, morgan scaley um tell everybody a little bit about why tim deruder is considered a favorite here or i'm sorry not a favorite a name here I have to uh, be very careful it's very late yes very very careful um if if they have ever stepped foot on the ground at Fresno State University, they are not to be ruled out in the UNLV coaching search. That is how I am operating. Okay. And that's because of the ADs, uh, the athletic director's ties to Fresno State. Um, this is a job that people are looking at with some level of excitement. Um, there's also a, a, an equal amount of apprehension because this job has a potential ceiling change, which you don't see a lot. Normally, you hire a coach to change your ceiling. It's very rare in the coaching community that you evaluate the job with growth potential that has nothing to do with you as a program builder and executive. And what I mean by that specifically is they're going to share a really, really, really nice, fancy new stadium with the Raiders. Okay, they're not going to be in, they're not going to be at the shit pot Sam Boyd Stadium. They are going to have an increased profile of football in the city of Las Vegas. They're going to be able to schedule better because of this. And they are, they're in a growing community, and they should be able to go out and recruit both in Las Vegas as, as well as around California and the West um, with just a higher profile in general. Uh, football factory in the backyard at Bishop Gorman. Tony, uh, Tony Sanchez was not able to always convert that relationship into talent for UNLV. It's one of his undoings. Um but also, beautiful new football facility and a family with a big checkbook that, if you can get on your side, is never a bad thing to have. Um, this is part of the reason why I keep uh, Twitter going uh, during our show. I don't normally do that, but um, a, this is uh, – I'll, I'll call it what this guy called it. Jeffrey Wadalove, who looks like he runs the um, the Inside the Rebels. So I'm trying to check and see who can I uh, – I'm sorry, as I do this live – Let's just go at Inside the Rebels. Uh, it's a Scout Media 247 deal. Okay, sorry. That's what I was trying to do. Um, he tweeted out an observation. Jim Mora Jr. is following most, if not all, of the UNLV football 2020 recruits on Twitter. Hmm. This happens. Okay? Hmm. That's all I'm going to say. This happens. This kind of stuff happens. Hmm. Would Jim Mora do well in Vegas? Uh, he would do extremely well within the media sphere. Um I don't think it's a prerequisite to be media savvy. Jim Mora, I will give Jim Mora deserves a lot of credit for this and this alone. Jim Mora is way better than I thought Jim Mora would be on TV. He's very good on television, but I don't necessarily think it's a prereq in Vegas to be part of the show to live into that stereotype. But I will say this: it wouldn't hurt as you're building the program up. It wouldn't hurt to have a little bit more of a national name who's also at home in front of the cameras, who will do a lot of those ops, who will go out around town. Um, it wouldn't hurt. There's a community of Las Vegas 
and then there's the strip and the industries. Bringing all that together and being able to work in all those different pockets and going into the communities in the in the suburbs. Um, the football side of Jim Moore Jr. I mean, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. I, I you know, pull up a stool. Do you have 20 <laughs> minutes? Um, it's interesting how that would translate in the Mountain West. This is where you fall into the trap. Because if you're a career guy who's done NFL and P5, that it's not a one-to-one comparison. You're going to have to change a lot of what you do. You are. So that's, I mean, just as an aside. Um, so this one's wide open. I still think they go young here. I think they want someone who they feel like could do a five or six year run and build it up. Of course, everybody in the Mountain West wants a five to six year run. Um, let's go to New Mexico. Speaking of the Mountain West, Bob Davey, of course, out. It was 35 and 36. He had three losing seasons in a row. Um, Which is like eighth on the list of things that should have gotten fired, but here we are. There is a litany of bullshit that has been um, proliferating at New Mexico throughout the time that Bob Davey has been head coach, was head coach. Eddie Nunez, the AD, obviously they're trying to clear all that out. It's, it's a bit like calling serve pro. Um, this is a job that was described to me by a coach as um, a lower reward potential than UNLV but a lower risk. So I find that interesting. They probably will also pay as well as, if not maybe even a little bit better at first than UNLV. Um, what this job is, is very TBD because I don't know what you would take of the Davy era on what they did on how they recruited, how they evaluated. Um, you're the premier brand in the state of New Mexico. The problem is you're just not going to get elite talent within your own borders. So you have to be able to pull California and Texas at the same time. And the trap here is that ADs don't often understand this. People in the industry don't often understand this. I'm not saying Nunez does. I'm just saying in general. Saying you can go into Texas is one thing. It's where you go into Texas. This is the big problem that UTEP has. It's the big problem New Mexico State has. The talent's on the east side, and that's a completely different culture and place, and there's a thousand some odd miles. So um, you have to find – I don't think you have to find a West Coast guy, Richard. I think it it would help a lot. Um, I think this job is ripe for just a complete and total revision start to finish that give them a little time um, and just let them start over. So maybe maybe you have a longer-term deal for a G5 job here. Um, with each of the New Mexicos, Danny Gonzalez is a name that we've talked about here in Arizona State. Uh, he's a defensive coordinator at Arizona State from New Mexico, either Arizona – or excuse me, either New Mexico. He is a name that is going to kind of start to percolate. Um, he's kind of saying the right things at Arizona State uh, right now – as to his job, uh, his future job prospects. But keep him in mind. Uh, name I hear a lot is Marcus Arroyo at Oregon as well. Throw that out there. Who apparently Oregon fans are like, God, please take him? Yeah, what was that about? We have our Open Banner Society Slack, and I was trying to drop some of this, a little bit of this knowledge last night during the LSU game because that was pretty boring in person. You were um, so bored. What is um the bitch I'm from Louisiana? Just can we pause for a second in the middle of coaching? Before the kickoffs? No, Richard. Before everything. Oh, they cha- I I knew it was before every kickoff. I'm from Louisiana. Bitch, I'm from Louisiana. We call it that boo. Chop it a little bit tighter so where they pull the bitch out, obviously, right? And then it's just the trilling of the L- L- Louisiana thing. And so you go to a Tennessee game. That you shit go rock- hard, dog. Dude, you hear Rocky Top at a Tennessee game a thousand times, right? You hear the Noel chant and the chop thing a thousand times at a Florida State game. LSU is so pot committed to this. And I, I, I mean, I love it. I think it's hilarious. 
I heard it a thousand times last night on the PA. It was unbelievable. And people love it. It was fantastic. Sorry. They go hard. I don't, that just fell into my brain. Um, right, let's move on. How did we get uh, there? I don't remember, but I just, it's, it has infected. I, I've been, I, I sang it in the car today in front of my kids. Yes. Uh, I had to explain to my wife why. Um, Colorado State, it is now 946 Central Time, so it's it's 846 in Fort Collins. Mike Bobo has not been fired. Okay. As of this moment. Uh, I can tell you that recruits were on campus on Sunday. He's 28 and 33. He has a total of seven wins in the last two seasons, and he's never won more than seven games in a season. Richard, why is this a problem? I'm asking rhetorically. Let me tell you. Colorado State fancies itself the next premier group of five job in the country. Not in the Mountain West, in the country. You, I, all right. I, I'm not saying I don't trust you. I'm saying that you've said it for a while before we even did this podcast. You, you've hammered it home to me. I take you at your word every time you say it because I trust you so dearly. Wait, which part? The That Colorado State fancies itself to be the next Boise so to speak oh god yeah no they they're in they're yeah. in like yeah that's the belief and and when you i will say this if you if you doubt me not you richard dear richard but anyone else look at the money that they've spent look at the facilities renovations and look at the stadium this is serious cash being spent for a g5 job i think the w- i think what's really going to prove it out is a search that i expect to be wide I expect the yes. search to be wide, expect it to be far. I expect you to hear some names that you're like, huh, he doesn't have any connection to Colorado. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If they fancy themselves to be a certain type of program with a certain type of cachet, it doesn't matter. Jim McElwain's name will be associated with this job. It kind of already is in coaching circles. This is one of those jobs, we'll get to ODU in a second, where people have been talking about it for weeks, if not months, in terms of opening to the point where we, I don't know. We may not have time tonight to do all the coordinator rumors that we're hearing, but Bobo, if he wanted to, could go OC at somewhere like South Carolina next year. I really think so. Um, he could probably just be a member of Georgia's staff in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he's got great relationships with Muschamp and Kirby, obviously, as UGA guys. So um, I like Mike Bobo a lot. I just think that um, we talk about this sometimes, and I have to be different levels of guarded and how I say stuff that, you know, the guy went through some health issues and I think he's an intrinsically good man. I know a lot of coaches who aren't. Maybe you just take the time off. Maybe like you got your money, dude. You got a great family. You got a great history. You're a God in Georgia. Like just go, just go take a couple years, man. That's what I would do. I understand these coaches don't, but, um, more towards the actual, actual search. Um, I do think it will cut wide just like Richards does. I think that you will hear everyone from like a Jim McElwain, whose name has also been connected to Arkansas, um, to I think Nick Rolovic at Hawaii would be another one that you would hear. Tony, Al- is- you're going to hear Tony Alford's name at Ohio State. Yes. Yeah. You're going to hear a lot it's of a that. Job that. Tony Alford played at Colorado State. It's a job that would fit a lot of seasoned coaches and young coaches. And I don't, it's a rare gig that I think about it now where I think, I think you could actually, you don't have to go in and pigeonhole right away and say, this job needs this type of coach. Also, did um, I just say Tony Alford coached at Ohio State? He coaches at Notre Dame. My goodness. It's late. It's late, buddy. 
Hey, your old pal Richard here. I'm going to jump in real quick to correct something. Tony Alford is the assistant head coach at Ohio State, the Ohio State University. Used to coach at Notre Dame. That's where I got my wires crossed there. My bad. All right. Back to the hurry up. Hey, let's talk about, uh, watch this transition. Notre Dame, Florida. I'm sorry. I'm just talking about Florida State. I wouldn't talk about Notre Dame. Hey, uh, so Florida State has an opening, as you might know. They did fire Willie Taggart, as you might know. Um, so we discussed earlier about James Franklin that maybe there was more strength, believability to the notion of talking to one school versus another. Simultaneously, one might believe that there is some strength to Brian Kelly talking to Florida State. Is that fair, Richard? Uh, yes, but um, if I had to handicap it, I think uh, that Brian Kelly and Florida State rumors strike me as a future Notre Dame contract extension announcement soon come. It feels like, it feels like the safest bet to make. I would definitely say that. Yeah. Um that that's kind of my bet there. Uh, I think James Franklin is a similar situation, but if USC opens, I, I, I don't know if USC opens, we're going to have to come back to it. But I will say at the state of play there um, uh, on the night of December 1st is what I just said. I think both of those guys ends up, end up getting their magical extensions out of nowhere. Funny how that happens. And Florida state moves on at this point. I'll say this, Florida State being quiet is not necessarily a surprise to me. Now, I think it I think it may be if you go on the face of the fact that Florida State's had one count 'em one coaching search basically ever since integration. Well, not since integration, but in modern very very modern college football, they've had one coaching search where they got mm-hmm. Willie Tiger. Um, so because of that, you may think it's a wild west. Um, they had some turnover in the athletic department and they had some transition in how the athletic department is literally run. Uh, you put all that together and you think, well, Hey, this should be a wild, crazy coaching search. Um, their biggest benefactor booster died earlier this year. What happened here? What happened here is the guy that is running the search firm here is notorious for zilch zero, not a nothing coming out during the search. That's why there hasn't really been a slow trickle of leaks. And that's why, unfortunately, sometimes people have to insert um, a story based on not awesome information mm-hmm. into the mix. Fair enough. Um there was contact with Mark Stoops. We know that there was a desire for Bob Stoops. We know that. Um, I think that Mike Norvell is a name that uh, you would be correct in associating with this job. I do think that the the prevailing logic that you don't spend this much money to buy out Willie Taggart in a year and change, a guy who only got like one and a quarter recruiting class to do anything, um, is someone that you, you, you wouldn't make that move to then go hire another AAC guy. Um, and that's why I think they're still trying to swing as big as possible. That's just my gut feeling on the situation. It is quiet. It seems too quiet. I don't necessarily think that's as weird as it may seem, given that this is a high power program. Uh, no, if you not listen, at all. if you listen to our PAPN special on coaching searches and how search firms work within them, which we published last Monday, the Monday before Plug Thanksgiving. It, Go and listen to that, and you'll kind of learn how these work and and search firms help in the machinations of the whole deal. Plug it. Plug it. Okay. Sorry, I was stalling as I was texting a coach. Um, 
Okay, so here's the situation at Missouri. Um, the only thing that I've heard so far, certainly they'd be interested in Willie Fritz, and that they want an offensive coordinator or someone who's just an offensive-minded head coach. No shock there. I'm not really turning over any revelation. Um, I relate a story during the Insta for Olds. If you don't know and you live in a vacuum with PAPN and you don't consume all the Banner Society content, one, shame on you. That's no, fine with me. Two, two. Uh, you would have seen, if you consume the Banner Society Instagram, you would have also seen Richard's Thanksgiving tips. Um, and every Saturday morning, I do something called hashtag Insta for Olds, which is basically a mix of what I think is going to happen in college football that day, combined with generic parenting questions, combined with whatever, middle age. <laughs> um, I just dropped this Missouri knowledge because someone asked, because they had it in the moment. I think some Missouri fans are pissed. I don't know if it's just a shoot the messenger thing. I was relaying that I heard the story from two different sources who don't know each other. I will relay it very quickly right now. Uh, Barry Odom, who was let go, initially went to the AD, Jim Stark, for a public vote of confidence. Public vote of confidence, Richard, has that ever, has that phrase ever been associated with a positive outcome for a sitting head coach? The answer is no. Nope. Um... It's a very strange move because the the general feeling around Missouri was that you got damn near a mulligan this season with what the NCAA had done, the process by which they did it, the typical crony bullshit that went on with the media defending. I kind of even thought the media humps with the Mizzou degrees might even get a little a little wrangled here, but it is unbelievable. <sighs> the never-ending merit badge competition to earn some sort of favor or defend the idea of the NCAA. I am digressing as I am uh, a little, a little delirious. Anyway, the NCAA crippled this season. Therefore they arrested the development of whatever it was that Odom was setting out to do in the long term. You could argue. Right? Someone say the nope. offense crippled this season, but well, carry on. I, I argue a little bit against that. It's just, I do think zeitgeist is an issue with kids. I do think culture is an issue with kids. I do think it affects them. I've having done the whole, uh, egg bowl psychosis crap with the Leo Lewis story. I know firsthand as it's been relayed that when you have this, when you have these uncertain futures in front of kids, they react very, very differently. Derek Dooley still called a poor offense this year. I think that's fine, but I mean, gun to your head, not yours, but someone listening, Kelly Bryant, remember him? He played for Missouri this year. Um, so anyway, they go through, um, there was essentially a feeling of, hey, like we're not going to do a public vote of confidence. It's a weird year to do it. And also some people at Missouri felt like, hey, maybe some of that pressure needs to exist, right? Maybe maybe we are uncertain. Odom essentially misinterprets this, gets anxiety or anger, some mixture thereof, goes back to his people, his staff, and the people around the football program and saying, hey, they don't believe in us. We might get fired. That's not what they said, according to the two sources I spoke with. This gets blown back into the Missouri leadership, as one would expect, because these communities at universities are very small, all right? Odom gets trotted back in front of the AD and everyone else and saying, hey, what the hell? And this creates essentially a self-perpetuated cycle where Odom ends up being fired for it because there was so much internal strife. It's very bizarre. He essentially spoke his own firing into his existence like a magic trick, Um all that being said, Missouri's got some serious issues. I'd rather be the head coach there than Arkansas. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, this job, I think, uh, yeah, Fritz is the only name that I've heard that jumps out right away. I think they're still in the process of organizing who they want here. And uh, I will be, I'm not going to speculate on this show. I will be fascinated as to who they pull in. It, it just even the short list, um, because there are a lot of like kind of weird corners and angles to this job. Um, it is an SEC job. It's a far flung SEC job. The expectations we don't really know what they are. This is a program that has been beat up um, in a lot of ways, justifiable and un- unjustifiable between the racial incidents of four, three, four years ago, all the way through the NCAA, um, and then just the. I think the uncertain future of, of a life as sort of like a, the unwanted child, the unwanted adopted child of the SEC expansion. So I'm very curious um, what a short list of Missouri candidates is going to look like in, in a couple of days. We'll find out soon. Uh, Richard, tell me about South Florida. Charlie Strong, uh, by the way, just real fast. He got fired because he went from a season of 10 wins to a season of 7 wins to a season of 4. He finishes with a 21-16 and 16 record. His record at Texas, I just when I was doing research tonight, 16-21. and 21. That's okay. weird. Uh, yeah, Charlie got fired. Uh, they basically they announced it during the Bucks game, which is an interesting uh, sleight of hand. Apparently he met with uh, USF Brass on Saturday. They played Friday night uh, against UCF, got blasted, um, looked more competitive outside of the whistles than between the whistles or during the whistles during the play. Um, I, I, there's not much to be said here than what we've said on the podcast and, and what I've written here. I, I, everybody likes Charlie. Charlie's a great guy, but Charlie did not get it done on the field and they regressed. And from 10 to seven to four USF has a lot of reasons to fancy itself better than it is. Um, one of them is a bit of psychosis generated by a rival that has absolutely skyrocketed in an opposite direction after the very, very close game that they could have won in Charlie's first year. Um, so now we come to what USF is going to do next and whole lot of directions. Um, I'm going to be quick with it and say just go hire Tony Elliott, Clemson assistant coach, you idiots. We'll see what they actually do. Um, The very, very fun hypothetical that I just would love to bring up is Willie Taggart back at USF, Jim McElwain back at Colorado State. Go. It's very possible. It would make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. I still think it would hurt. I think it would hurt Taggart's career. He's associated with some other jobs we'll talk about in a second, I think. If you're successful twice at the same location, I think people are just going to assume you can't be successful anywhere else, and they don't, won't get that extra chance to go back to the very top. Um, but, 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 Tampa's still home. Got a son who's about to start playing college football. There, there are reasons. It's, it's not nuts. I don't think it's nuts. No, it's not nuts. And it's I not think nuts that at all. I think that they take him back. Now, granted, different athletic director, different situation uh, with the brass there, but. We'll I see. think this time Willie definitely knows the problems and the solutions and the all that jazz and da 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 da. I don't think anybody here is going to be a miracle solve because I do think that USF or sorry UCF has so far in front, um, and we, we won't dwell on that too much. We've talked about it a lot on the show, but one invested, one didn't, one made the assumption that Florida would just solve itself, one didn't. You see the difference now. Um, you mentioned some wild cards here. We were putting our show notes together. Lane Kiffin, Gene Chizik. Here's the funny thing about Lane Kiffin. 
It feels, it feels very much like an improbable stretch based on his current reputation, his previous reputation, and his known doings, his his uh, successes, failures, and his pros and his cons. It seems impossible to a lot of important people in college football that he would get hired at an Arkansas or a Tennessee or whatever, okay? Um, it makes a lot of sense, even knowing a lot of the stuff that I know, that he would go to a USF. That if there's a path back for Lane Kiffin to being a head coach at like a top 15 program years from now, this is the path that you take. Right. It's it's showing that you can rebound after a shitty season at FAU, which they have. They're yeah. about to win the league, I think. Um, He's a Floridian. Obviously, he has ties to the Tampa area. His father, I mean, Monty Kiffin's Tampa 2 defense. You might have heard of it. You um, can sell also, it, yes. Yeah. The other connection is that David Reeves was the, uh, I think was one of the play callers, was also the quarterback's coach for Willie Taggart. That's Lane's brother-in-law. Uh, he was on Willie's staff at USF the last time, and he was on Willie's staff briefly at Oregon before he was let go. So uh, The Gene Chizik thing, really quickly, he's obviously in retirement. We're kind of having a little fun there. Uh, Gene uh, has been hanging around with the Bucks staff uh, recently. That's just... Having a little fun there. It'd be hilarious. I hope Gene stays retired for Gene's sake. The same reason I'm so happy for Mark Rick. Like, and Gene got his ring, man. Stay happy, dude. Stay stay going to all your kids' events. Um, stay doing leg day, know. man. That's right. Hell yeah. Got good legs. Actually, f- actually f- yeah. You know what? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, leg day, dude. Um, that man's never been happier. I also like him as a... Um, I don't see him a ton on SEC Network. He's on SEC. I was listening to it last night after the Florida game, <clears throat> which Florida won. And uh, yeah, he was he's not bad in the studio. I like a I like a defensive coordinator as a uh, as an analyst. We don't get that much anymore. Um, we march on. Steve Adazio was an exact forty four and forty four at Boston College, but he never won more than seven games in a season. So that's why they're firing him. They expect something more than middle-of-the-road as they now exist as a middle-of-the-road ACC program with um, some geographic problems in recruiting. They're not quite a Notre Dame. They are a Jesuit school. It's hard to get into. They haven't been relevant since Matt Ryan. Have recently upgraded facilities, though. Uh, The name that Richard has heard, the name I have heard, is Pete Carmichael, who's a uh, long time, long, long time assistant for the New Orleans Saints, and ex- assi- uh, essentially a Sean McVay protege. Not Sean, sorry. Oh man, I did it Good. too. Sean Payton, Sean, Payton. Yeah. Sean Payton protege. Sean Payton protege. That's because I hate Sean Payton so much as a Falcons fan. Um, he's a protege of uh, of Sean Payton. He played baseball there actually at Boston College. That's the association. So that's one name that I have heard. You may have heard of a recent Saints assistant coach who is doing fairly well, perhaps. Mm. Perhaps Joe Brady. Um, by the way, I can relay this. Uh, I can relay this with a little bit of laughter. Talking to some staffers at LSU yesterday. Uh, yes, they are well aware that the world is coming to try and steal Joe Brady away. Bruh, Joe Brady is about to get paid, boy. My man is going to get some cash, but I do believe a lot of that cash is going to come, or all that cash is going to come from Louisiana State University. They are not stupid, folks. Um. Uh, Boston College, I think, would probably look at... There's a variety of people in the Northeast that fit this job. Um, I'll be curious what staffs that they, they look at. Like, Is it a high-ranking coordinator? Um, I don't have a list assembled other than I've heard Carmichael. Um, uh, I've got a couple names that I what's think... What's the high end for this job? Or, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, it, I, I just... 
a, a very short list that you could kind of see yourself talking yourself into. First of all is guys with Ohio State connections. That's Jeff Halfley, defensive coordinator. Alex Grinch, currently Ohio State, but used to be, or excuse me, currently Oklahoma, used to be Ohio State defensive coordinator. Um, Martin Germont, who is Boston College's athletic director, uh, came from Ohio State, has Ohio State ties. Uh, other guy from the Northwest, Mike Northeast. Goodness gracious, it's late. Mike Elko. He's a finalist for the Temple job. That's a job in that region, as we know. Steve Adazio came from Temple as well into that job. Mike Reed is a little bit of a wild card. He's a defensive assistant coach at Clemson. Uh, played at Boston College as well. We'll probably get an interview. Um, we'll, we'll see if he actually gets a job. Uh, but that's kind of a list of guys to say. Hmm, I think those guys could work. Could get a look. At the Boston College job. You ask for ceiling on this job. Um, hmm. I mean, it's been a long while since Matt Ryan, but this if seven and five is consistent and you can hum at seven and five, you can get it to nine and three. My God, did I just say Boston College can go nine and three in the same division as Clemson and Florida State? Pull wow. quote. But but if you can maintain that that uh, that comfortable base layer, we all live in the north. If you can layer it, you can maintain the comfortable seven and five base layer. You can maybe trip somebody up and get an eight and four, a nine and three, and call it a nine and three, and have fun in the Orange Bowl. Uh, Richard, we both believe that UCLA is not firing Chip Kelly. Yeah, they're not firing Chip Kelly. It's not really a hard one, guys. It's a silly season, though. You got to listen to everything. Um. Chip Kelly will Chip Kelly make changes on his staff? I think so. Um, are things uh, clicking along in Westwood like as like as if this is phase two of some amazing master plan and everything's going according to it? No, no, there are some issues there for sure. Um, but no, they're not they're not pulling the plug yet on Chip Kelly. They invested a lot in Chip Kelly. Now is next year results year? I think next year's proof of concept year. Have we seen proof of concept yet, Richard? I don't believe we have. Uh, no, the Washington State game was a mirage, which we said it was the day after it happened. Get them. Um, they have not. They've, they've shown, like, they've won a couple games. That's They've won a couple games. You've never really seen it consistently over, like, three games in a row saying, boom, there it is. We got it. It's It's there. It's there. If we build that out, we can we can create a Rose Bowl contender or a South contender and a wide open ish South. Um, right. No, it is not there yet. Uh, let's move on. University of Texas at San Antonio, the UTSA Roadrunners. Frank Wilson has let go after a nineteen and twenty seven record. It showed promises. It never happened. Frank is. Um, I, I gave him the nickname, the King of New Orleans. He's one of the most connected people in the world of SEC football. He will be fine. Um, consider this a bold prediction that he's probably wearing maybe purple and gold next year as an assistant coach. Doc, that is a banger recruiting staff. If he <sighs> goes to LSU, oh, buddy. This is how you maintain, not to not, I mean, we'll talk about UTSA in a second. This is how you maintain if you're at Orgeron and you prove that it's not a one-year thing, that it's not just the peak of Joe Burrow's last year combined with Joe Brady's hiring and a new offense that maybe people didn't figure out. This is the way you keep it going. This is the roll tide. What fuck them all. Like this is the real sea change moment. If it, if it, if it is going to be real, if it ever has a chance of being real, this is how you do it. You bring Frank Wilson back to LSU because they, Oh shit. 
they will lay the fucking wood in recruiting. And I, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. Um, UTSA. <laughs> uh, the only thing that was told to me about UTSA today was it almost has to be a Texas hire if Frank didn't work. Now, nah, maybe. But it does make way, way, way more sense to go with a local after going with someone who came in from New Orleans who was a longtime assistant looking for a shot as a head coach. It didn't work out here. Um, I don't necessarily think it's uh, th- that it means Frank Wilson will never be a head coach. I think it's just a matter of, will Frank, I mean, Frank Wilson and, and UTSA just did not work. They came close. They showed glimpses. It's where Alabama DC Pete Golding was. There's a ton of respect for him in the coaching world. I just think that, um, you know, a lot of this is circumstantial. UTSA is not a bad program. UTSA probably still has a minor edge over UTEP in terms of like UTSA didn't exist. UTEP struggles to recruit that far east in Texas. Um, so it'll be interesting to see those staffs go against each other. Excuse me, against each other with whoever whoever they hire. I think. Look, I, I think South. Uh, goodness gracious, it's late. I think UTSA is a job where you can go get like uh, a guy in Texas who's won like a D2 championship or a FCS championship and yeah. an up and comer and 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 spin it there. Like Willie Fritz 5 years ago, like I think go find yes. that guy. Go Sam find Houston that guy. State. Yeah, I think there would be a lot of uh I think there'd be a lot of interest in that and and Who's coaching at where... Stephen F Austin right now? Somebody got to be there. <laughs> this is where Texas shows its worth, I think in the coaching community and they find the right fit here. Um, not our Bryles, not our Bryles. No, no. Well, they've already so they've already come out and said that. Today. Yes, they have. Um, they have. That was, uh, in fact, if I can pull it up fast enough, the AD literally was like, "We have a we have an association with Brendan Chase, and we're not doing that." Yeah. So a tweet from Greg Luca, who is a uh, who's the beat writer for the uh, Express News over at University of Florida graduate, Alligator Sports alum, my guy. Oh, you know. Okay, cool. Uh, UTSA AD Lisa Campos said Art Bryles will not be a candidate in her search. Quote, I think it's easy to cross off Art Bryles, given our relationship with Brenda Tracy and given the stance that we've taken on sexual assault and sexual abuse awareness. That's pretty, that is a pretty obvious one for me, end quote. Um, Now, since I'm a myopic asshole and I believe the worst of this sport, uh, that doesn't rule out Kendall. (laughs) I knew, I knew you were going to say that. I'm not advocating for Kendall Bryles. I'm telling you that this sport is evil sometimes. Um, I don't think they're going to hire Kendall Bryles. Um, Jake Spavital did not have a great first year. No, just fired Bob at State. Texas State. Just fired Bob State as offensive coordinator, I believe. Yeah. Um, is it that tree? Maybe it's not. I mean, this is why I'm leaning towards somebody we don't know about or someone that doesn't jump off the page. You know, the the era of the Sumlin, uh, you know, the era of the Sumlin tree and the Bryles tree and the, the Leach tree feels very, very uh, dated now. I'll say that. And it's not like those guys forgot to coach, but I just think that things are changing. Uh, Richard, okay, this job is not open yet, but of all the jobs on this list, people have been talking about this job being open and just assuming it would be for three months, and that's Old Dominion. Um, If you're not familiar, Bobby Wilder took them from 10-3 and to 1-11. and That's not all on him. This is a transition school that came into the FBS, straight into the conference. That is really, really, really hard to do. No one really does it well. No one. Um, I talked to a coach tonight that was discussing uh, the changes in contract languages for any FCS program that even remotely considers taking a shot, maybe for Sunbelt or Conference USA or wh- whomever in the future, we don't know, um, about 
protective language for any transition coaches because it just never works out. It never does. It didn't work out. Um, well, Satterfield, I stand corrected. Appalachian State's like the only school that's done it. Did Georgia Southern do it well? No, Georgia Georgia Southern had a hiccup. Georgia Southern, I mean, um, it wasn't necessarily Georgia Southern's fault. Uh, Munkin went to Army basically right as they were doing the transition. And so they assumed that Willie Fritz, I think, would be there a little bit longer. I'm going to filibuster for a second because this is important to discuss. Um, you start with, so Jeff Munkin leaves in 13. The, the year that they beat Florida was a year that they were not eligible for the FCS playoff because they'd already declared their intention to transition, but that wasn't a good year. Willie Fritz was there from 14 to 15, and they assumed Willie would sort of guide them through. Then Willie, of course, shot up and took the two-lane job. I think he also understood that Georgia Southern was not going to grow in the ways that he expected. That means money. Um Tyson Summers was the big, uh, the big fart hire who was a Georgia guy, right? Because he guy. he stopped running triple, he stopped running triple, and everybody got mad. Tyson ran a well, it was kind of, and yeah, it was a mess. Um, he had <laughs> he had BVG connections, and if you have BVG connections in Statesboro, that's pretty much the kiss of death. Chad Lansford, who was on the staff with Willie Fritz, um, and was the interim head coach, uh, is now the current head coach, and they run the triple, and they are what they are. Um, all of this relates to Old Dominion in that you are what you are. You have to figure out if that will work at this level, and they have not done that. Georgia Southern had a hiccup. App stayed consistent, and really, honestly, someone should write a book about it. It may be kind of boring and like a book for coaches, but to recruit, run your schemes, run your offense, your defense, all of it, everything, and, and survive a transition of FCS to FBS, with really no no pockmarks, is unheard of. I mean, I, I don't hang out, but I go to Monroe for holidays, and ULM still hadn't figured the shit out, okay? so And they, and they transitioned in, like, the, the late 80s. So um, Old Dominion has to figure it out. What do I always say about Old Dominion, Richard? The Tidewater. Newport News, baby. Um I will never not think of the story Taj Boyd told me about leaving football, leaving high school football practice and Pusher T was selling clips, bootlegs on cassette and CD out of his trunk at like the end of football practice. What a time to be alive. He was probably also selling cocaine. Um, the Tidewater, Newport News, Allen Iverson, Michael and Marcus Vick. College football fucked up. <laughs> they put an FBS program directly <laughs> in that area. Uh, sucks for UVA and Tech. Uh, I keep saying this, and and I know I I know you're hearing me out there in the Commonwealth. I don't think the listenership. I don't think the listenership has any. Um, I I think the listenership knows what I'm about to say. Well, so let me let me let me give you a soft transition here. I was told today uh, by two individuals that this is a job that will. Um, they are actively seeking out a minority head coach. Um, you know, when I say that, I'm just going to stop myself. If your reaction to that is negative, well, take some time and sit with it on your own time. But when when I say that, I'm not saying they are bypassing qualified candidates. What I'm saying is they know there's a wealth of qualified minority candidates, and they know that it would fit with the recruiting with the culture, with the population of the area. Imagine okay? that. Imagine that. Um, I do think a minority will end up the head coach of this job. 
All right, now the moment we have all been waiting for. The moment you have listened to, I believe, some 80-odd minutes of a podcast we said was going to be, and I quote, a tight 60 minutes. I just want to shout out, I just want to shout out Ryan Nanny real fast. He's going to be of so Who's my editor. When he listens to this and has to edit Who's this. my boss, who is my neighbor, our kids play together, and who dunks on me on Twitter, 365. All right? Guess what, asshole? <laughs> you have to edit this tonight because it has to be up immediately. Ole Miss fired Matt Luke. They sure did. Uh, Howdy, Toddy, gosh almighty, they did it. Uh, I got a phone call this morning that woke me up, and I immediately dismissed it. I got a phone. I got a second phone call from a colleague who covers Ole Miss, and I dismissed it. And then as I drove my ass across this country, <laughs> I kept. I was like, no, 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 no. And uh, Richard, tell him about the buyout for a second, because that's why I said no. And I laughed. I laughed at a lot of people today until like late afternoonish, and then I was like, "Hmm, okay, I smell fire." Yeah, conservative. Conserv- the buyout is ridiculous. Conservatively, conservatively, the buyout here is like twelve million dollars. Um, it's it's definitely more than that. Um, I don't think it's like twenty, but it it's definitely more than twelve which is a lot of money for Ole Miss. And we've sat here and said for a month on this podcast that Ole Miss doesn't really have the money. Ole Miss went continuity route with the AD. That is boys with Matt Luke, and they weren't going to do this. And yet. And yet. Um, A lot of people have a lot of questions. Number one, is this because Elijah Moore did the the piss move uh, in the Egg Bowl? Yes and no. Oh, you understand the Egg Bowl. Go ahead. The Egg Bowl gets coaches fired. It's a fact. Ed Orgeron got fired because he lost the Egg Bowl because he screwed up the punting situation in a game that Mississippi State came back on the road and won. Sly Croom lost. Sly Croom, the nail in his coffin, was losing the Egg Bowl and getting his ass waxed. I think it was 30 to nothing. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Jackie had already had to leave when he got beat up in the Egg Bowl. Um... Dan Mullen, his swan song out. I believe he was going to leave regardless. He definitely was going to. He definitely was going to leave, but him losing that last egg bowl, and I'll talk about the guy who got a job from it in a second, is a massive, massive issue with Mississippi State boosters who felt so loyal to him for a long time because they feel like he had mentally checked out in that game. All right. Conversely, let me tell you something else. I believe for a fact, and I know this as a reporter. I believe this for a fact, and I know this as a reporter, that had Ole Miss won the Egg Bowl on Thursday night by 10, 14 points on the road in Starkville, we would be sitting here talking about Joe Moorhead being fired from Mississippi State. This is what this game is. This game is the Iron Bowl with absolutely no outside context, no outside circumstances, and no outside ramifications. These programs are crabs in a bucket they will never ever leave the bucket the only thing a crab in a bucket can do is pull the next crab down i don't even think they want to leave the bucket either i think you might be onto something my ass left the bucket because i ain't from there um matt luke was never supposed to be the head coach of Ole miss matt luke was an interim matt luke was a quick band-aid 
and was someone who was supposed to go to South Carolina. Okay, he was supposed to be go go back and dig it up. I reported on this. He was he had a, a deal when he was O line coach at Ole Miss, Richard, um, that was bumped up when South Carolina was courting him for the same job because Ross Bjork, the AD at the time, knew that they were going to need an interim head coach. They thought at the time they were going to need an interim head coach because they were going to fire Hugh Freeze and offer him up to enforcement. What happened was that didn't have to come to pass because of Hugh Freeze's indiscretions on Ziphone, okay? They still <laughs> needed an interim head coach. Matt Luke, who's an alumnus of the university who played football at Ole Miss, whose father is very important at Ole Miss, his family is very important in Mississippi, uh, became that guy. When they won the Egg Bowl, I was there in Starkville when they pulled the upset, when Nick Fitzgerald's leg broke in 90 pieces, and, and Ole Miss won that game. We were shooting the last bit of foul play. We were in principal photography. That won Matt Luke the job. There are very, very short-sighted, myopic people that run Ole Miss. I believe and I know. Again, I have to use my therapy words. I believe and I know as a reporter <laughs> and as a sane human being. No one thought at the time about the long term. They were emotionally swept up. Matt Luke, if you re- I don't know if you remember this, Richard. I'm, I'm interested. So you know like how you know Van Jefferson came to Florida from Ole Miss, right? Yes, yeah. There were a lot of Van Jefferson-type situations. Van Jefferson's a receiver for the Florida Gators. There were a lot of Van Jefferson-type situations where kids were on the roster at Ole Miss. And keep in mind, this is not the 5-7, and 4-8 and eight team. I'm talking about this was a team that was like winning, uh, winning the, the Sugar Bowl. Like this was the Hugh Freeze recruiting like there were, there was talent there. All those guys that are in the NFL now, DK Metcalf, um, oh my God, AJ Brown, AJ Brown. Brown. Thank you. Sorry from Starkville. He calls himself the mayor. Um, <laughs> such a dick. It's another egg bowl thing. It's such a dick move. Um, all of those kids were thought to be transferring, and Matt Luke kept them in, and that's why he was kept there. Okay. Um, no one thought about the future. No one thought about this guy's inexperience relative to running a program in the SEC, which is convenient because they just hired an interim AD named Keith Carter who played basketball there, who's like my age, who just like Matt Luke is a really nice human being and an upstanding human, nice guy to talk to, not qualified for the job. Um, Matt Luke never had a chance. Richard, Matt Luke was thrust into an unwinnable situation and did about what I expected, to be totally honest. Um, a lot of people at Ole Miss, in the wake of the way that they lost that game on Thursday night, started looking at the 2020 schedule. They open in Houston against Baylor, by the way. Um, and that's before they go home. Uh, logically, if you go to pull up their schedule right now, it looks like 2-5 and five or 2-6 and six in the best-case scenario next year. It's really bad. One of those wins is against southeastern Louisiana that I'm projecting. Um, they did lose the game the way they did, Richard. Obviously, we've seen some pretty ridiculous takes out there. We're going to take the high road and not really – mess with that too much but what elijah moore did was the second act in three years which matt matt luke was the coach when dk metcalf did that in the end zone in starkville okay it didn't matter then because they won the game it mattered a hell of a lot on thursday night because it ended up shanking the pat when they had to move it back 15 yards this is the egg bowl it's crabs in a bucket I think he's still the head coach at Ole miss and i think joe moorhead's out on his ass because then mississippi state misses a bowl Two years after having Dan Mullen, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just. I just want to. I just want to like stick a pin there. Like really? Oh, it's insane. It's insane. Oh my god, this is the greatest sport in the world. Richard and I are putting together some content right now that I'll tease. It has to do with 
Joe Moorhead's reputation and his his sort of cascading effect on the SEC when he was hired based on his success. I've known Joe Moorhead for a long time. I met him when he was at Penn State. He's a brilliant offensive mind. Mississippi State was that short-sighted. That's why he said they're going to have to drag my Yankee ass out of here after the Egg Bowl. Going into that game, people on their staff were working under the assumption that it was win or go home. So this is a guy who, by the way, if that would have happened, he would have been hired in a heartbeat. OC anywhere he wants to, and then a head coach as well. Mississippi is a myopic place, Richard. (laughs) Matt Luke is out. Um, obviously I could write a book on this one day. This first, I want to, I want to stop here because yeah. this is a, this is, was a shock to the system. This was a shock to college football. There yes. were, people were not, people were not ready for this to happen. We, you and I were in constant communication during the season and, and you and I went through our list, which is every school that we just named more or less. Was there any other? No, there was no. There was nothing that happened today that we did not prognosticate. Okay, or at least not say, yeah, okay, that makes sense. This was the thing that we were like, oh wow. Missouri was the only one that came close, and that and that happened on Friday. And we we heard Saturday. things and bits. And, yeah, sorry, Saturday, Friday going into Saturday. Sorry, they played on Friday against Arkansas. Uh, that was the one we heard bits and pieces about. But this was the one that was a total shock if only because of the money associated with it as well as just the state of things in Mississippi. So this was the wild card. Today, Ole Miss was the wild card. Um, all that being said, they just, the body's cold. The body's not cold, I'm sorry. Um, they're just starting to ask questions about a short list. I would assume that our friend Chatlos will be running that search, Richard, because he runs Ross Bjork's search, and the new AD, Keith Carter, is sort of a acolyte of Ross Bjork. Um so I think Chad Chatlos will run that search. And the first name, since we've been recording, uh, it was uh, actually right as we started recording, the first name that I was contacted about, someone asked my opinion in the Ole Miss community was Billy Napier. Um, I do want to address the coordinators because I don't think either coordinator will be in on this, Mike McIntyre or no. Rich Rodriguez. I will go ahead and tell you right now that those Rich Rodriguez, emphatically Mike McIntyre might get a courtesy interview. Um uh, from, I can tell you now, Rich Rodriguez's time in Oxford has not been uh, convivial. Ooh, SAT word. You sure you went to Ole Miss? <laughs> For six years. Um, the all that. I mean, how I, I I think I watched two Ole Miss games this year, and one of them was on Thursday night. But the memeable social media spreading of the Rich Rod in the in the box, you know, throwing his hands around, acting like a dick. Um, other coaches, I don't think we've talked about this this year. Other coaches make fun of that a lot. That's yeah. not a cool thing. You don't have, you do not, you do not, especially in 2019, have to stomp your feet and throw shit to get your message across to teenagers. Now he's in the uh, box, so he's high above and he's with other adults and yeah. you know, he can get mad on the, on the headset or whatever, but you do not have to do that to actually get your message effectively across. And if you did, you'd see it more often. The, the two common text reactions I got this year, Richard, from from football coaches, uh, actions on TV from other football coaches was Rich Rodriguez and everyone at like I had a coach immediately go, he looks like a dumbass, as in he doesn't know what he's doing. And the other one I got was Jeremy Pruitt grabbing the face mask, say, face mask, and a coach was saying, hey, he looks like an asshole. Um, so that's not company you want to keep. Rich Rodriguez will not be the next head coach at Ole Miss. Uh, what a day. How you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling good. 
Doing good. Here's the uh, scary part. We're going to do this again tomorrow? Uh, we might have to. Um, I don't believe that Silly Season has even really started yet. Oh, uh, yeah. Here's, here's what's terrifying, guys. What do we have? Three weeks, four weeks left of NFL football? For some of us. I checked out today. Well, oh, as opposed to me. Um, the the hires in the NFL will affect college this year. That's been talked about for all, I mean, throughout the last hiring cycle. You want to know why? C Jackson comma Lamar. Yeah. You're going to have to stop that for the next 10 years. So you're going to have to, ch- you're going to, you're going to have to account for that. The Sean McVay, Cliff Kingsbury phenomenon and fad. Two different fads, but the McVay thing I think is, is going to be less, of a thing moving forward than the Kingsbury thing. If I had to pick one of those two things to say this will be one of the dominant offensive trends in the National Football League for the next 10 years, it is Cliff over McVay. Because McVay, as good as he is schematically, McVay is better as as the old capital L leader of men rallying and motivator um, than he is a schematic mind. Sean McVay is a brilliant schematic mind. That's not what I... Uh, what I'm trying to say is... He's better as a leader and a motivator than he is a schemer guy. That's the real secret sauce, and that's why Zach Taylor is struggling. That's why some of the uh, Sean McVay acolytes have not been able to um, uh, redo what McVay's been able to do with the Rams. But what Cliff has been able to do, and quickly, is show that absent his red zone decision makings, this thing can travel to the NFL with the right quarterback and a bit of uh, some schematic mind opening to what something could be. This just in, Sean Payton to Ole Miss. Sure. <laughs>